We have a very creative spiritual community, and it's, we're always doing something wonderful. And, and I think, personally, the reason that we are always doing something wonderful is because we have a very brilliant and creative artist as our leader. Our spiritual director not only has been a Hollywood actor, he also is a wonderful teacher, workshop facilitator, singer, guitar player. He gives brilliant talks on Sunday morning, and he's now going to be known as an accomplished author and writer. Will you welcome our own spiritual director, Dr. Patrick Cameron? That's the second time she's introduced me this morning. I think I'll bring her up in the middle of my talk and have her introduce me again. It gets better each time. Thank you, Reverend Catherine. It's beautiful. Welcome to, uh, welcome to heaven. It's a beautiful community to be part of. <clears throat> so what we typically do is we sing a song and then we say a prayer. But actually, the, 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 the song we sing is a prayer. And so I'd like to invite anyone that would like to stand with me to please feel free to stand. If you'd like to stay seated, please do so. Sing in this very room. The words will be behind me on the screen. There they are. In this very room, there's quite enough love. For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear for spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So what I know in this moment and invite you to know with me, speaking in the first person, but knowing that it represents and is available to all. One life, spirit's life, God's life, perfect life, and I claim that life in this moment as my own. I open my heart and my mind and my being and know that the truth of all life is its spirit, is at its base, its core, its foundational peace. And so I know that I live and move and have my being in that awareness, in that consciousness. Anything that restricts or limits me in any way, shape, or form in that awareness I lovingly put down. And so I'm grateful for the, the precious moment, this precious now moment, knowing that whatever is seeking my awareness, my attention, and my care and offering to the world, I stand ready, willing, and able, giving birth to the consciousness that reflects the highest and best of humanity and spirit on this planet. 
So I give thanks knowing everything is already in divine right order. The right ideas and words reveal themselves sequentially and beautifully in a way that is simple, precise, and inspiring for myself and for you. And for this I give thanks knowing it is already done in the mind of the one. And that mind is my mind and your mind. And for this I give thanks releasing these words in great gratitude, great love, great joy. Together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you, Mr. Brown Anderson. Beautiful. Thank you, Debbie, for your beautiful music. I want to thank, I was gone uh, for two Sundays. I want to thank Reverend Catherine McLeod. I want to thank Reverend Connie Nissen for stepping up and, and sharing their, their gifts and their brilliance while we were gone. I want to thank all of the board and, and uh, practitioners and people that made uh, Friday evening. We did an event here with uh, Eckhart Tolle and Ramdas, uh, a video streaming, and it was really a wonderful event. And, uh, and then I'll be prior to us leaving, all of the support for the Wayne Lee event, which is also a wonderful, wonderful experience. So I'm just filled with gratitude to be able to come back home. Uh, because It's interesting. It's good for me to go away because you realize how, how connected and, and precious this experience is. When we were on the road, I'm going to share a little bit of it with you today. But many times as people started to gather what we do, then what my opportunity is... Uh, and I receive uh, emails frequently from folks that have been with us in community and then moved out of the area. How wonderful and precious it is that we, we celebrate and we share together. So I stand in that, in that gratitude with you today. We, my wife Laura and I uh, took a trip. We went to the Omega Institute, which is in upsta- upstate New York, and we did a, a writer's workshop for five days, and it was life-changing for me. And I will share bits and pieces as we go along, but not a whole lot today, because I want to share a few other ideas with you. I wanted to talk today a bit about, about genius and what that looks like and how that relates to what we do as a, as a community. I want to talk about intrinsic value, and I'd like to speak a little bit about why living our lives from why. Not what or how, but why. And so we went to New York. <clears throat> we did our, we our workshop, and then we went to Manhattan for a few days. And it's, it's wonderful. I feel so blessed to have these opportunities. I, loved, I love the energy of New York City. Uh, in fact, Friday night, I drove in at 5 o'clock. We rented a car, and I drove through Manhattan during rush hour on f- Friday at 5. There were four of us in the car, and everybody had their part to do as we drove and screamed as uh, taxis got closer and closer. And, I've never been so happy as when I turned in the keys to that rental car uh, Saturday morning. But anyway, uh, we, we went, and one of the things we love to do when we, we travel is to go on walking tours because it's wonderful. You connect with the environment, and there's some wonderful walking tours in New York. And we went to one at Chelsea Market. It was a food tasting. Chelsea Market is where the Food Network is, and there's all these little boutique uh, shops there. And so they take you through, and they, the history of the the uh, Chelsea Market and the history of the, uh, the, the neighborhood. And, and while we were doing the uh, walking tour, the, uh, the, the um, guy that was leading us, the guide said, there's a wonderful play on Broadway right now called The Mountaintop. And The Mountaintop stars Samuel L. Jackson and Angela Bassett, two wonderful actors. And it's the story of Martin Luther King the day before he dies. And so I thought, well, that sounds good. I'd love to see that. But I'm, you know, I'm here on Broadway. I want to see a musical, you know. Duh. So anyway, uh, but while we were at Omega, someone else mentioned this wonderful play and mentioned what was going on. So we thought, okay, well, there's a couple of clues. So while we got done with the tour, we walked over to one of the off-Broadway theaters in Greenwich Village, and we wanted to get tickets. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg was, had done a, written a play and was starring in a play called Ascension, and we couldn't get in. So I said, let's hop in a cab and go up to Broadway. And it's about a $10 cab ride. It's very, very cool. New York is just so easy to get. It's, and it's not that big. Manhattan's not that big. 
So we got up there, and I saw we found out where the theater was for the mountaintop with Angela Bassett and Samuel L. Jackson. So we got in line, we bought tickets, and, and it was wonderful. It was a matinee, and we're dead center. We're in the last row on the main floor, and I'm sitting there, and, and we got there really early, so we were about a half hour early for the show, and I'm sitting there thinking, and there's really profound thoughts were coming through my mind as I sat there. There was a guy walking around with the, uh, selling candy in one of those big boxes and a strap around his neck, and I, so I'm thinking, hmm, should I have the caramel corn or should I have the junior mints? You know, those deep thoughts that you have as you're sitting there. <laughs> and then I started thinking, <clears throat> I bet you Oprah would love this show. I bet you Oprah would love to see this. And so... Um, as I'm kind of just waiting and Laura was sitting next to me and our friends are on the other side, uh, I look up and Oprah walks in the door. I'm like, oh, and so, pardon me? So anyway, I look and, and as calm, cool, and collected as I could possibly be, because I, you know, I, I, you know, I just, I'm, and I have that mastery of emotional excitement. I said, hey, there's Oprah! <laughs> and she walked in with her entourage, and, and we were in the same seat. I was in row 70, she was in row 5, but we were in the same seat. And I just thought, wow, isn't this cool? We're going to see a play with Oprah. And the, and the play was phenomenal. The play is just amazing, and I, will, I, I, I thought I'd have time today to... to uh, share it, but uh, I probably won't. Uh, it, it's, a whole, it's a whole presentation, the whole experience, but it's, uh, it's powerful. So I'll use it next week in my illustration. But what I wanted to talk about is that, that when we're, we're tuned in, I want to talk about genius a little bit. Genius is a term that the Romans uh, came up with about, uh, well, two, three thousand years ago. And so the way we've used it over the last 500 years is that, that uh, Reverend Connie Phelps is a genius, and Reverend Catherine McLeod's a genius, and Elizabeth Manuel's a genius, and, and you know, Elaine Warwick's a genius. But the Romans never used that. They didn't, they didn't talk about it as a way of being. What the Romans believed was that genius is not, a, is not something that anyone is, but what genius is, is it lives, they used to believe that the genius lived in the walls of the artist's home. It's there. It's just a presence. And I thought, isn't this a great definition of what we teach? There's one mind common to all. Where do ideas come from? Where does the brilliance come from to write? I've, I've seen hundreds of plays in, my, uh, in this incarnation, and this play was just life-changing and phenomenal. Where do those ideas come from? And so what it is is genius is not individual. It's not a way of being. What the Romans said was that genius is something that you can have, and you can host it. You can welcome it. And I love that definition because then it's not personal. It takes it out of the personality into the realm of what we teach, which is this infinite divine intelligence. I don't know, but something within me does know. And so genius is such a a precious thing. Um, Poet Ruth Brown, in her 90s, wonderful poet. And she said she she learned as a young girl. the, the, The earth would start to shake beneath her, and then she'd start to quiver with it. And she knew that was the warning sign. And as soon as that happened, she'd have to run like hell. She'd have to run as fast as she could to get a pencil and paper to write it down because a poem was coming. And she knew that if she didn't get it down, it would pass her by and the next poet down the line would capture it and write it. And And I think it's just a wonderful example in a practical terms of how artists 
convey and capture. We did this workshop, writing workshop, with a, a very um, talented, brilliant woman, practicing Buddhist, had made her living as an actress for years, still, still uh, making her living, grew up in New York City. And it was basically what it was. We'd do a meditation at the beginning of each session. Very, and, and, and she'd go very fast, so you couldn't track it intellectually. But it would create this altered state of awareness and consciousness. And then she would say, now begin to write. And, and it was powerful what people would write. But we're tapping into the genius. And everybody's story was so compelling. People that had never written before, published, successful authors were there. You couldn't tell the difference. It's amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. But that intelligence is available to all of us. And it's what we teach. And when you see it show up in the world, you go, wow, look at this. And, and, and the synchronicity. How blessed is Oprah to be at the same play I was at? <laughs> I mean, go figure. Someone said to me going out, they said, you know what? When the new uh, arena opens out in town, we should, the Center for Spiritual Living should host Oprah. And we could do a big event there. I said, that's a great idea. Get right on that. You go. Because chances are, if you see a job, it's probably yours. I mean, I love the idea, but I'm not going to be driving that bus. That's a lot of work. So, we talked about, and, and today, I, of course, I, I came up with a title for this talk a month ago, and everything's changed, but we, we did Spiritual Makeover Part 1 and Spiritual Makeover Part 2. And, and so we talked at that point in time about in, intrinsic motivation. I started out with the question, actually I made it up at Ernest Holmes, but really I guess I'm going to make my own banner up and put it on the wall. It serves us well to consider a new idea occasionally. We're new thought. Nothing, there's, no, there's no new thoughts out there, but it's about us embodying a, a thought and, and, and having a different experience. Because it's, it's really simple. Really simple. Change your thinking, change your life. It's just not easy. And what it requires are a few things that I think are important. So I wanted to talk about the idea of freedom. Dr. Holmes said our inherent nature is one of freedom. And freedom from distress, from discord. It means not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally. But the freedom to direct our own lives is what we teach. We're here to, to embody, to look at, and, and to, to filter through ideas and then make them our own or not. And to look at the ideas that we've, we accepted as our truth and decide whether those still serve us well or not. So we truly are, in a sense, spiritual artists. We're not here to tell anyone how to th- uh, what to think, but perhaps we can suggest a new way of thinking. So one of the things in terms of making the shifts and changes is, is the autonomy, the freedom to choose in a new way. Simple, simple, but a challenge to direct our own lives. Another thing that I think motivates us and Dr. Holmes talked about is this idea of mastery, of mastery in our own lives so that we, when things happen to us, we realize that we have the opportunity to respond to those things from our freedom in any way we choose. That's the distance that, that is the space between experience and response. If you were here Friday night, we watched Eckhart Tolle and Ramdas speak of that. Their whole, their whole premise, their whole ministry is based on this idea of stopping, slowing down, and keep coming back to present moment, where that egoic mind is quieter and quieter and quieter. And I find in my own life, the less thinking I do, the more I'm, I'm, I'm guided and directed. I know that when I was sitting in the theater and I, and I started thinking about candy, and then all of a sudden, because all of a sudden my mind got off the tracking, we, I, you know, we'd made it, we got our tickets, we're seated, and then all of a sudden I, I start thinking about Oprah. I thought, that would be a great play for Oprah to see. I wonder if Oprah's seen this. 
And then Oprah walks in the door. But we're all connected to that one mind, that genius, that one infinite intelligence. I don't know, but something within me does know. So in order to shift and change, Deepak Chopra in his book, uh, Reinventing the Soul, talks about the pursuing our interest with genuine, uh, pursuing with genuine interest that which we're interested in. So we bring our love to it, whatever it may be, if it's a quality of being. And in, the, in his section in the book, he talks about how the Buddhist monks, their, their brain waves, um, and we were, when we were at Omega, we saw a presentation by uh, Joyce Hawks, said the same thing. She's a scientist, she's a doctor, and she had a mystical experience, a near-death experience. She's written a book called Cellular Healing, which I'm going to use next month. And then the subtitle is From Cell to Soul. But her form of practice and her form of healing is exactly what we do in our teaching. And so she's brought, as Dr. Holmes said in our textbook, I look forward to the day when science and spirituality walk hand in hand. And it is happening. The things that are happening with the medical technologies and the new, the nanotechnologies, that, that there, there are diseases that we're, we've, we've thought we were stuck with for a long time that are going to be eradicated over the next several years. It's amazing to watch. So, pursue with genuine, genuine interest that which we want, to, we want to have as an experience in our lives. And to do it spontaneously. The second one Deepak talks about is do it spontaneously. So whatever shows up for us as we set this intention, it's for our good. So not to turn away from it, but to turn towards it. So Joyce Hawks, who's a doctorate, she has her doctorate in, in cellular biology. Um, she had this experience, a near-death experience. She started to study with the shamans. She went to Bali and studied with a shaman, and she studied with several of them. So she's, she's uh, created a mosaic of modalities and awarenesses. But one of the things she says is that why the, why the uh, indigenous people have more success with healing is that they don't, they don't preach a, a, an exterior God. And for the most part, their God isn't a man. It's a feminine quality. It's a feminine nature. And so they're, they're, they're a bit more proficient in the, the, the healing modalities. Now, they're very similar, and this was Dr. Holmes' genius and many of the metaphysicians, is that it is not about an exterior God, it is the indwelling consciousness that needs to shift and change. It's exactly what Joyce Hawks was talking about. So our work as practitioners is to do the work at our own level of consciousness, to, to convince ourselves. We, move, we don't move anyone else's mind but our own. She said, she said an amazing thing. Do you want to know what the amazing thing was? As those two witches over there nod their heads. I said to them, what's in your consciousness? And they said, fun. She said that you don't even have to be in the same room. That you can pray for someone far away. Oh my gosh. This is exactly what Dr. Ernest Holmes said. One of the reasons that when we're, we're trained as practitioners that we don't place our hands on one another because it's not necessary. It can be a wonderful thing. If I'm doing a pastoral visit with somebody, I'll hold their hand or I'll rub their foot if they're in a hospital bed. But it has nothing to do with the, the, the consciousness. It just has a, you know, you connect with someone, and that's a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But Holmes said, you know, don't be putting your hands on people as if you're the healer. It is about a shift and change in consciousness that's, what, that, that's important. So the spontaneity. Then it requires, as Deepak says, discipline to do it over and over again. The discipline to, to pursue it. And that's a challenge at times because it's so simple, but it's not easy. 
the discipline. Dan Ariely, who's a noted author, talks about this, the discipline. If we know that meditation is good for us, did you know there's four ways to grow new brain cells? Joyce Hawks talked about this, and I've seen it in other research. There's four ways. See, we used to think the brain is static. And the idea used to be that 10% of the brain was, 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 we were only using 10%. And it's not true. The 10% we're using is surrounded by this white mass, which they could never quite figure out. Well, it's called, the, there's a gila, which is Greek for glue. And what happens is the gila takes the stem cells, and if there's a stem cell that needs to go to, for the heart, the gila guides it to the right and perfect place. And eventually, some of the gila becomes brain cells. This is all new stuff in the last five, six years because you used to think if there was brain damage, the brain was damaged. We used to think in, that if you're in a way of thinking, if you're in a pattern of thinking, same thing for us. We have patterns of thinking, p- patterns of response, and it's possible to change that, but it requires discipline. And so the, the, that whole thing is, is, is opening up to a new possibility. And so the, the discipline is very important to keep going at it and at it. So Dan Ariely, who's... Um, written several books, talks about why we, why we struggle with this. He calls it, I want to get this right, self-control contracts. The self-control contracts. If we know that meditation is good for us, meditation will grow new brain cells. Learning a new proficiency will grow new brain cells. <clears throat> learning to, to play a musical instrument, learning a foreign language. If you, in fact, I did this with the first group, but if we go from, here's your hand, there's the index, pointer finger, index, middle finger, ring finger, pinky, thumb. If you tap... Pinky to thumb, follow along with me. Pinky to thumb, pinky to ring finger, pinky to middle, index to thumb, and back. Okay, just do that simple pattern over and over again. You get it going. It's pretty easy once you figure it out. Okay? Now stop doing it physically. Close your eyes and do it mentally. Everybody feel pretty good with that? Did you know that there is no difference between physically doing it and and imagining that? To the brain. It's the same, the, the same elements in the brain, the same function in the brain fires, whether we, we do it physically or we imagine it. And that's a whole, you know, it goes back to basketball players practicing their, their uh, free throw shot or then imagining it. You know, this has been around a long time. But a new proficiency helps grow new brain cells. Exercise. Exercise grows new brain cells. To get up and walk, to find a, an exercise that works. And then there's certain video games that do the same thing. And Deepak talked about that when he was in town, Deepak Chopra. I don't know what they are, but I'm sure that it'll, it'll show up when, when it's appropriate for me to know that. But if we know these things, why don't we do those things? If you know, if you say, you know what, I'm going to get myself in shape. Not just the first week in January like I used to do. This year I'm going to really get in good shape. Man, I kept my New Year's resolution until the 15th of January this year. I'm doing good. But if we know those things, what are the self-control mechanisms that we have in order to encourage ourselves? Because the guy that says, tomorrow morning I'm getting up and I'm going to exercise for half an hour and I'm going to change the way I eat and I'm going to meditate. Now, that's a wonderful declaration. But at 6 o'clock the next morning, that guy's not around anymore. At 6 o'clock the next morning, that guy's like, maybe I'll do this tomorrow morning. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, this is kind of how we're wired. And, and Ariely says that they've come up with some mechanisms now for self-control mechanisms. If you know that, 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 that and I, this is very near and dear to me, is that over the last uh, eight or nine months, I've, I've switched the way I eat. 
just because I was tired of carrying so much weight. I wanted a better quality of life. And so very slowly and systematically, I've been releasing weight. It started for me in the Prosperity Plus class. Part of it is, what do you want to be physically? I'm just tired of dragging all this around with me anymore. I don't think the Eskimos are going to be looking for an offensive lineman that's 57 years old. I think I can do something different. But the point is, is that if you know what's important, then what, what creates the awareness so that you behave in a way now so that you have the benefits later? And so Arielli said that one of the things they've got is a new clock one of his, uh, that's been made. It's called Clocky. And you set the clock, and when it goes off, it rolls around. It's got wheels on it, and it rolls around the room. It goes under the couch. It goes under the bed. So you have to get up to shut it off. <laughs> that's been very popular. I mean, whatever it takes to wake us up, right? Then he says that they came up with another clock, another alarm clock. It's called snooze and lose. And so when it goes off, if you don't shut it off immediately, it's hooked up to your bank account. (laughs) And money is automatically taken out and given to a charity that you don't like. (laughs) It just never caught on, and I don't know why. But isn't it interesting that people know how we are? I mean, the, the legend of Ulysses. Ulysses. When Ulysses was, was on the, the ship with his men, and they knew they were going to go by the island where the sirens lived, these beautiful maidens that would sing this intoxicating song that would put everybody into this altered state of consciousness, and they would lose all self-control. This is a form of temptation. The Greeks knew about this. So what did Ulysses tell his men? Strap me to the mast. Tie me as tight as you can. Because we're going to be sailing through this, this uh, area where the sirens are. And then he told his men, fill your ears with wax. I mean, it's the same thing that we've, we've, for years and years and years. And so why, the reason I, I share with you this idea of discipline is that, that it's important for all of us. If we're going to change any of this, you know, Jim Yee was at the, I spoke at the Empowering Edmonton event on uh, Friday. And it was beautiful. And Jim Yee was there. And I want to bring Jim to, as one of our guest speakers. But he's a retirement expert. And he inspired the book I'm writing, actually. I was going to do a booklet. And now it's the book that I wanted to write and the book that wants to be written are, are finally coming together. But Jim inspired me with his seven points about prosperity, financial prosperity and the practices. And, and as he said once again to me, and I've said it several times today, it's simple, but it's not easy. And we were talking about these ideas. And Jim says, if you know it's in your best interest for the long run to do these things, why don't we do it? It's because we lack those self-control contracts. That's why class is so good for us. That's why going to the workshops that Laura and I went to, we couldn't have done it on our own. I mean, it was life-changing. It was life-changing, this practice. And I'm going to be sharing that with anyone. We were talking about putting it together in the new year, but creating that within our community. It's very simple, very profound, but it was just... It was, it was amazing to watch people, what they wrote and what they shared. And many of it was so cathartic. People would talk about the, the death of a, a spouse or the loss of a career or the life-changing things because you would write from your heart. And it was beautiful because everyone just sat and was present with one another and held it for one another. There was no, the, the agreement was no one would comment on anyone's writing. It was a beautiful, beautiful process. They have another... They have a. Um, they have a, web, a website now called Sticks, And what you do is you go into contract with somebody. It's very much like the 12-step program. The reason, one of the reasons the 12-step program works so well, in my opinion, is because you get a sponsor. And then the sponsor and you are in contact frequently about what's your plan, what's your day, 
And, and, and in making the commitment to another, you're there for one another. Sticks is a website where you go on and you say, I'm, I'm committing to this. And you let people know that, that uh, you're committed to this. So it's, it's very interesting how we need, the, we, need our, we need one another. We need community. So there's genius. There's intrinsic value. What's important to us? What are the tools that can help us maintain that intrinsic value? What are, what's precious to us? And on top of intrinsic value is the why, how we live from the why in our lives. And the why is that there's always, with, with great leadership and, and with great organizations, there's, there's what we do. We teach classes here. We teach science of mind classes, and we talk about metaphysical principles here. It's what we do as an organization. How we do it, we do it verbally, we do it wit, written way. A lot of companies don't even know how they do it, but they know what they do. And then there's why. And why is really important. Why is, give an example of why. Steve Jobs, Apple Computer. I'm reading his book right now. They're out, I, I know how they got this book out. A week within his death, there's this 400-page book. But Steve Jobs, what he said to the world is, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. That could be, that could be our vision statement. We believe that the world, the world looks like it's not working for people, but we believe in challenging it. Not saying, oh, that's the way it's always going to be, it's the way it's always been, but no, that's giving birth to the new idea, the new possibility. So what he did was, we believe in challenging the status quo, we believe in thinking differently, and the way we do that is we create beautiful machines, beautiful, beautiful computers, and they're, they're user-friendly and they're really simple. Do you want to buy one? Hmm, yeah, I think I want to buy that. And then they, they created an iP- the iPad, the iPhone, all this stuff. Have you ever been to the Apple store? I bought an Apple laptop two years ago. I signed up for the, uh, for the O generation. For $100 a year, you can book an appointment and go in every day if you want and get coaching from these, these young teenagers. You go in, I need, I need to know how to do this. Oh, come here. And then they sort of laugh as you, they're showing you this very basic stuff. But my mind doesn't work that way. Amazing, amazing marketing. Dell makes great computers. There are many great computer companies out there. But he's tapped into something. We believe in in challenging the status quo. Another great story about why. And what Steve Jobs says is we're going to change the world. We're going to change the world through beauty and through technology. And he's combined the two. It's been his genius. Another great story about why is that anybody ever hear of Samuel Pierpont Langley? If you're here for the first service, you did. But Samuel Pierpont Langley... 1900s was given a contract the United States government the, 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 um, the, the flavor of the day at that point in time was developing flight airplanes and, and there were many people attempting to do it and Samuel Pierpont Langley sat on the, the board at Harvard he was a member of the Smithsonian Institute he was very highly regarded very intelligent man and the United States government said here's $50,000 to complete and get something in the air and so he went out and he hired the best resources, he hired the best engineers, he hired the best materials, he had everything available to him to get a plane in the air. Then you had the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, born in Akron, Ohio. They owned a bike shop. They had no money. The guys that worked with them got paid very little. Every time they'd go out to try and get the plane in the air, they'd take five sets of parts with them because they'd crash five times. And they kept over and over again. But what they did was they said to the people who worked with them, we believe that if we can get this, planes, this, this thing in the air and fly, that we'll change the world. We'll change the world. 
And so when you say to people, the reason we do this, because I, I, want, I want your lives to work. Because when your lives work, we're changing the world. And then we become an example of what we teach. And then we find ourselves in the right place at the right time. I really don't, I got to tell you something. I get the chills every time I think about Oprah walking in to join me in that theater. I'm thinking, oh my God. So I, I, maybe she's coming to the new, theater, the new uh, venue. I don't know. And I'm, I'm not saying that egoically. I'm saying it from an energetic thing. I thought, that's a consciousness that I respect. She stretches me. Her picture's right there. I want to go up and say, your picture's on the, the wall of our sanctuary. Didn't get close to her. In fact, at the end, people, you should have seen the people gathered around. There's two huge Suburbans out on the street. This little, I think it was 45th Street in New York. And people just gathered around in this horde waiting for her to come out. And I thought, ah, oh, we won't see her when she comes out anyway. But, but the point is, is that, that our opportunity is to change the world. When we shift and change, we change the world. We become, we become more available and permeable to the genius that's seeking expression. And we start living at a whole different vibration. And all of a sudden, people show up in our experiences, teachers and opportunities and ideas that we couldn't even fathom before. This is a beautiful thing. We're spiritual artists. So the, the Wright brothers get their plane up in the air. Now, the, the New York Times would follow Samuel Pierpont Langley everywhere. They would report his every move because he was famous and he was, you know, he was prominent. And as soon as the Wright brothers got their plane in the air, it took about three days for the media to find out that somebody had actually flown like 212 feet. And as soon as that happened, Samuel Pierpont Langley quit. He was done. Because his motivation was, I'm going to be famous and I'm going to be rich. So the Wright brothers, see, if, as, as business owners, as, as leaders in our own lives, you bring people into your life that you tell people why you're doing what you're doing, and they connect with it, they'll give you everything they got. Blood, sweat, and tears. Martin Luther King, 1963. There were many people when King was, was one of the leaders of the civil rights movement saying the same things. And so he, they had an event in Washington, D.C. 250,000 people showed up. And he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And what he did was, he didn't tell people something they didn't already know. But what he did was he reminded people with great clarity and great passion what they already believed. And he became an icon for shifting and changing consciousness. I was reading the speech yesterday. I can't, I can't even get through it right now. It changed the world. I'm going to put together a whole presentation on this experience and, and around his speech. But he spoke to the why. He didn't say, I have a plan. I have a 12-point plan that you should all follow. What he said was, I have a dream. So when we look out in the world and we see that it, it seems to be incongruent, what King, what King believed and spoke of was that there's, there's man-made laws and, and ways of being, and there's higher ways of being. And when those two things are incongruent, we've got problems. And he spoke to that, and he continued to speak to that. And so for all of us, we have this wonderful opportunity. We come together, we enjoy the music, we enjoy our fellowship, we enjoy the conscience, and that's powerful and wonderful because it lifts us up. And then we're in that, that expectancy of great good in our lives. But that great good in our lives, it's, it's having the experience, having the awareness, and then applying it somewhere meaningful in our lives. And for all of us, we, all have, we have those opportunities throughout our day. Throughout our day. 
Or we can put down the old biases and ways of being and, and, and welcome something new. So it's such an honor to come home, to have this community. You know, the people that I spend time with in Omega, they're like, oh man, I wish, I wish you were in my neighborhood. I wish we had that. So yeah, I know, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to have this teaching and, and all of the things that, you know, I'm writing about this in the book right now, that all of it, all of it pushes you when you finally say, okay, what do you want me to do? I'll walk through this door now. And I'll, I'll, and I'll commit to this, and this is precious, and this is sacred, and that's an ongoing maturation and, and welcome for not just myself, for all of us. Who we are today is wonderful and beautiful, but let's not limit the, the, the greatness that is seeking expression, the genius that is seeking expression by means of you and I. So next week I'll, I'll speak a bit more about Dr. King and his vision, because I have a dream too, and I know you do too, and it's not unreasonable. It's perfect. Blessings.